Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, an international menopause expert, author, and speaker. I help women go from feeling uncertain, uncomfortable, and struggling to experiencing a new sense of confidence, freedom, and vitality. My own story mirrors that of thousands of women that I have connected with through writing my book, speaking engagements, and coaching. Like you, I felt unprepared, unsupported, and at times dismissed by family, employers, and even doctors. That's why I created this podcast as a place of advocacy, offering facts, resources, and a community where you can become more empowered to take control of your menopause journey. Join us each week as we dive into honest, open, raw conversations on the topics that matter deeply to menopausal midlife women. From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society. My mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Today, we're going to be talking about an area, an aspect of our lives that has been described as the second most traumatic event you could go through, and that's divorce. And I'm sure that there are many out of you, well, those of you out there that are going through this, thinking about this, or may have experienced it. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by a highly sought after divorce and narcissistic recovery coach, Janet Henson, to talk about divorce and why it can be an empowering and affirming part of your life. Welcome to the show, Janet. Oh, thank you very much, Clarissa. It's really nice to talk to you today. I'm really looking forward to this. And it's a subject, obviously, that I feel immense passion about having experienced it myself. And I just feel I really want to show women, particularly of my age or similar age, probably a little bit um, younger, maybe older, that it really can be an empowering change in your whole life um, to seek a new direction, probably at an age where you least expected it. Yeah. And I think that's an incredibly important point, isn't it? Sometimes we've been trundling along for being married. I know yourself in your own bio you shared with me, you've been married for 25 years before you divorced. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So 25 years. And I think, you know, you do get very settled into a relationship. And even though deep down, and I'm a big believer in gut instinct, deep down, you know, it's not quite right. You do kind of get to the stage where you're going along with it. And sometimes it takes something to hit you in the face before you actually take action. That's very true. And divorce is definitely in the, on the rise, isn't it, among midlife people and particularly midlife women instigating divorce, if I'm correct. Yes, that's right. So for instance, in um, 2015, uh, 10 out of every thousand couples aged 50, you know, were the ones who were getting divorced. And actually in the over 65 areas, it's tripled in 25 years. And it's the only area, the age group that's actually spiking and, and rising. I mean, there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, one of them is the fact that life expectancy itself has changed greatly. I mean, going back 100 years, the life expectancy of a male was 48 and 51 for a woman. So marriage was naturally shorter. It was easier, I said, in a way, to stay married then. So maybe we're really not programmed to be married for 25 and 30 years. 
Well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because when I think back to, say, my great-grandparents, all my great-grandmothers had passed away bar one by the time they were in their sort of 40s, either through childbirth or contraction of an infectious disease. And both my grandmothers had stepmothers then and sort of second families, and that was considered incredibly normal. Yes, yeah, that that was the thing. And also... You know, you, the opportunities weren't there at that age to change your life. It was much more difficult, especially for a woman, to leave a marriage because it just wasn't the norm. It was had quite a stigma attached to it too. So there was lots more things going on to, to stop you. Two generations ago, there was a huge uh, social stigma if you got divorced. And that, I feel, is no longer a, a barrier. You know, it's, I feel... My sort of mantra is, you know, it's much better to leave an unhappy marriage than live the rest of your life regretting staying because you, what other people think because of the stigma of it. Yes. And I don't think we feel that way, do we? A lot of us would leave and say, why should I be so unhappy? I would leave, you know, and I have been divorced. And I don't think, you know, we'll come to that how difficult it is because it isn't an easy thing to do at all. But I do think we say, well, why would I stay here? And put up with something that's making me miserable, particularly, I think, when our children are older. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I think now stigma just isn't there in the same way. And I think that's another part that goes with it. I think quite often you reach an age where you've been married, maybe like I was 25 years, and suddenly you've got an empty nest as well. So that brings a whole new dynamic to the marriage. You know, suddenly one of your main purposes of life has gone and you look at each other and think, oh, who are you now? Who am I? <laughs> We're not that same person. And suddenly one of the most, the biggest things we did in the day, we looking after the children on both sides. I'm talking about men and women. Suddenly, you know, it, it's not there. It's gone. Yeah. And I think that that's an interesting point. You suddenly look and think, who are you? Because we are very busy, aren't we, up until our sort of 50s with filling our days with a lot to do with our children, driving them here and fetching them there and their exams. And maybe we lose a bit of sight of the person that we married 20 years ago or we've changed. Yeah, I think it's both, actually. I think obviously you do change and I think you've lost sight and they're suddenly their one parent of the children rather than your partner and spouse and friend. And suddenly when the children have gone, you know, suddenly you look at each other and you sort of wonder, well, what do we do now? And then I think particularly you start thinking about things you might have missed in your life that you'd given up when you were younger that you might want to start again. I agree. And I don't know, but I've noticed that sometimes midlife women, and this is not a judgment, we can feel quite resentful. We put a, Maybe we've put our careers more on hold than a man would for the family. Maybe we haven't done some of the things we want to do and we suddenly go, well, now's my chance. And maybe we don't want to do it with the person that we're married to at the moment. Yeah, and maybe they have a completely different outlook on what they want to do in their life. I mean, I've seen some couples where the husband at that point has retired and wants a very quiet life where she wants to go off and travel and do all the things she's missed out on. So there you have a complete mismatch in terms of how the want, you want to spend the rest of your life. Yeah, exactly. But divorce at this age is quite difficult and complex, isn't it, Janet? It's not as easy as us just wanting to do different things. It, it can be very traumatic, can't it? Well, it's very traumatic. And, you know, whoever 
decides to leave the marriage for whatever reason, you're still going to go into what I call a period of grief. Because you're, even though you've decided you want to move on, you want to get divorced, you're still going to mourn and grieve the life you thought you'd signed up for. The marriage, the happy ever ending, you're grieving the future you'd kind of envisaged you were going to have because all of that is suddenly gone. So it's a very, very difficult time. Five cycles of grief, which you get when you lose a person for death, but it's very similar when you're going through a divorce too, because the loss of a marriage is a grieving process. And it takes you quite a while to get through that, depending on how you cope, right through from, you know, anger, denial, right through to acceptance. And that can take a year, it can take months, it can take some people two years. And that's going to happen. But the good news is you will come out into the acceptance phase and move on and be very happy and embrace a really new life that you've designed yourself. I think that's true. But I Yes, but I've still met people who actually are quite holding on. Why are we sometimes holding on years afterwards for this kind of the bitterness and the angriness that can be there? Yes, and I think that's a lot of people do. But I think, you know, you have to see somebody to help you get past that bitterness and resentfulness and living in the past because that's all you're doing. You're triggering yourself about what happened to you and living in that past. And you've got to move the mindset to living in the future because you can't change what happened. It's happened. He or she is history, but you're not. So it's changing that mindset and there's various ways and methods and strategies you can you can use to do that. But particularly, I think what you've described there is somebody who has gone through, maybe the marriage has broken down, not because they wanted it to, because one of the partners has committed adultery. And I think that's a very, very difficult thing to get over, particularly when you're older, because you get quite resentful because you think, well, I brought up the children. I sacrificed my career. And now suddenly I feel, and I felt like there's surplus to requirement. Suddenly you feel, well, what now? You know, and it's something that I got over very quickly, but I did feel that. Yes. And I think that's when a lot of resentment and you want to spend a lot of time knowing about the other woman that your husband has gone off with, certainly in my case. But you quickly get over that because there's no point in doing that because it is what it is. And I'm really well over that now. But you can get really hooked up into that. And one thing I would tell people is don't find out because it's it's happened. And knowing all the details and the whys, the where and where they did this, where they did, did that is just triggering bad thoughts in your mind and bad memories. So you have to kind of let go of it. But it is, if you're not the one who's decided to end the marriage, and maybe you thought you had a perfect marriage, and this came right out of the blue, then it's it's extremely, extremely difficult. And that's something I've actually heard sometimes more from men than women. They're sort of trundling along. You know, my own experience, I met a lot of men when I was single who were very bitter, actually, because then we, our wives had ended the marriage. They were going out and living a new life and doing all kinds of exciting things. And they suddenly felt very dumped. And that flows through into their ability to build new relationships, doesn't it, Janet? Yes, it does. Because you kind of then think of everybody because trust, I think trust is a really big thing. And once you've lost the trust in somebody, also, this is a person who you thought was your best friend, the person that you thought you knew everything about, the person you thought you knew everything and anything about. And suddenly, they're not the person that you thought they were. So 
your trust is very, very dented. So to go into a new relationship is very difficult because that you're always looking for what I call red flags of behavior that you've seen in the past. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, they're looking to see, you're right, whether they can trust you, whether you behave in a certain way, whatever that is, because that's difficult for the the new person doesn't know that either, because they don't know what flags are being brought up. And it creates quite a lot of pain all around, I think. It can be very traumatic in those spaces. Yes, it can be. And also it depends how the divorce went as well, because if you've had a very high conflict divorce, then you've really seen a different person, you know, it might be that the wife that you thought you'd married suddenly turns completely into this other person when you're getting divorced. And the person that you thought you can trust suddenly is throwing things into the court that didn't even happen. Then it's very, very hurtful, a high conflict divorce, you know, it can go on, depends which country you're in, because all was different, but you know, it can go on for years. I mean, in, in Switzerland, you know, I got divorced in Switzerland. It can go on for five or six years because you have to reach Switzerland. You have to reach a financial settlement before you can even go to the courts. Everybody goes to the court there to get the divorce. And until you can reach that settlement, you can go on for six years backwards and forwards. So, And then that gets very high conflict and it almost becomes a battle. I mean, in the UK as well, it, it's a very similar different way you don't have to reach a settlement but you go for the divorce but if you can't agree the financials then you have to go to financial remediation and the courts are involved it's a three-step process which can last that that small bit there can last a year and a half too and that's a long time to be in conflict with another person isn't it yeah it is yeah and the effect the stress levels go through the sky and often that's when you sometimes make an emotional decision to give up something in your settlement just to get rid of the stress because... Which I have to admit that I did. And I did too. You know, in the, I mean, I had a child. Yeah. <laughs> so we know how that... And I, and I think you have to move past that too. I mean, there was a lot of... I carried that resentment. I was pretty annoyed, but I had no other way to end it because he just wasn't willing to... Be reason, he wouldn't have see reason and he was only talking through his lawyer. There was no more communication between us. So how do we move forward in that position? Something ha- I felt something had to give and I, that was not great for me. But in the end, we managed to reach a, a conclusion. But it's difficult to get over that bit too, not only the ending of the marriage, but that this sort of acrimonious ending. Yes. And I felt, you know, I had to give something because I wanted to move on with the rest of my life. So you have to decide in your mind, what is it I'm willing to compromise on to enable me to move forward and be happy with it and accept it. But it still obviously irks. (laughs) But I do think if you're going to get, if you're going to go on for six years and you can cut it down to four by giving in on something that as long as you've still got enough to maintain the lifestyle that you want to, then you should maybe seriously think about what's more important, you know, battling on for the sake of it and getting a bit more or moving on with your life. And I think if we're in those positions financially, that is maybe a different dialogue. But quite often, divorce in later life can leave us financially quite compromised, can't it? Yes. And I think that's where you really need to be sure when you get to that stage, when you're looking at the pensions and everything, to employ a financial expert really to have a look with you so you fully understand 
what your living costs will be, what you will need and how you need to go about that. And also to look at the pensions that the other spouse has and you have together to make sure how that's going to pan out in the future. Because the financial element at this time of life is really, really important because, you know, suddenly you can't go back to work. You're for lots of different reasons. You just can't get a job anymore in the work in the, the workplace where you used to be because you've retired. So you can't go back and just sort of say, well, OK, I'll, I'll find another job. So you're kind of you've retired. So you're relying on pensions and things. So it is a big, big problem. So you need to be sure that you completely understand before you sign any agreements what you're going to get, what you'll need and how that's going to pan out. That's very sound advice. And I think a lot of people just rely on their lawyers, but your lawyer isn't a financial advisor. Your lawyer is a legal expert and they have their own fees running through their hands. I come from a legal family. I know how they work sometimes. Yeah. And I think sometimes you do. I mean, I certainly went into the lawyer thinking that i get a grip on that from the lawyer, but quickly realised I needed to get a financial expert involved too, who I had a complete plan, you know, to the end of my life, what I would need. For me, that was really important. You might not like to hear it (laughs) because sometimes it's best to kind of put your head in the sand and think, I don't want to look, I don't want to face it. But I sort of thought to myself, well, I really need to know this and, and did that. Because, you know, for instance, in the US, it shows that household income drops by about 25% and more than 40% of women when you're going through, you know, a divorce. So, you know, you're not going to have the same lifestyle that you had before. So you have to kind of accept that. But, you know, what's more important, the lifestyle you've got, the house you live in, or enjoying life and being fulfilled? Absolutely. And I think that's the most important point. But that's hard to do if you're really up against it financially too. So I think there's there's that sort of balance of moving on, but making sure that you are not so compromised that your life is compromised. Yes, exactly. So it's going to make a huge change. Yeah, because obviously, like I said at the beginning, life expectancy is going to be, you know, you're going to live a lot longer. So, you know, getting divorced at 65, I mean, my mother, for instance, is 100. So you've really got to look at the longer term and how you're going to do that. And you certainly don't want to be struggling when you've not struggled. But how do we as women in particular begin to recover from maybe a a more acrimonious or a more traumatic divorce? What are some of the steps that women can begin to take to set their life onto a new course? Well, I think it's a very short, sharp shock at the beginning that you probably need to take your time and you know it's step by step and quite often at the beginning you know I say to people you know it's day by day and certainly it was with me to really understand you I felt like I was a deer in the headlights didn't know where you know the elephant was in the room where do I start so it's a very gradual process of coming to terms with what's happened and where you're going to go so it's really looking at the things you can do to move forward. So it's one of the things that I really recommend is, you know, exercise, really keep I'm very into the holistic side of things that if you've got a healthy body, you've got a healthy mind, and that you're going to be able to think more clearly if you're healthy. Certainly a lot of my clients have said, well, you know, all I want to do is reach the gin. But one's okay. But you know, you're not going to find solace in a bottle. So it's really 
coming to terms with where you are. One of the things, a really good thing to do is write a gratitude list every day. And it's really flipping the mind. So every time you think of something negative that's happened in your divorce, it's actually then turning it, flipping it and say, well, yes, but look what I have got, my children, my health. So flipping everything to stop thinking about what's happened to you. But it is, you know, it's very difficult because you've come out of this very high conflict situation. And maybe if you've been, normally it probably means you had conflict in the married life too. So you might have been very dependent on the other spouse. Maybe they control the finances. They controlled lots of things. So suddenly, you, you know, the lawyer is saying to you, I'll just put me a spreadsheet together of how much you need to live on every month. And quite often that's difficult to do because they have no idea because they've they've been isolated from that sort of thing. So it's gradually, step by step, getting in touch, getting on top of what you really need to live, you know, step by step. And once you've made one step, then you feel quite empowered to move forward and do another. And it's really then mapping out your future, looking at, well, what do I want? What have I missed in the past? In a year's time, where do I want to be? in my life. So, you know, a dream is a dream, but you know, you, you need to have a goal and you need to actually have an action plan to get there. So what I do and what I did is actually work out where I wanted to be, where I wanted to live, but don't do it too quickly because I think we're in that state straight afterwards where you're very tempted to take action by emotional reasons. You know, so it's like a knee-jerk reaction to things and you think, right, well, I'm leaving here just to get away from him or her, not for the right reasons. You have to really sit down and really think carefully where you want to be, what you want to do, and how are you going to get there and have a plan. And I think if you can get your mind into that, the future and take it away from the past, then, you know, it will happen. But I would say out of my conflict divorce, it probably took me about a year before I felt I was functioning in the day like I did before, that I felt I was actually feeling fine every day, all day and functioning. Whereas before, I would say I felt a little bit like I could just manage, you know, day by day and I couldn't really function fully. No, it's sort of like it's coping rather than than fully functioning. Yes. And I, and and we're pretty good at coping as women. I think we're actually we're excellent at that because we've done that for all our lives. But you are right. There's lots of aspects of living on your own that we often don't think about as women, you know, and I mean, you laugh, but I mean, ha women, you're right about managing finances, maybe even paying certain bills, although that would have been maybe more our mother's generation. There are still a lot of women who are not locked into all the insurances and the pensions that some of that has been taken care of quite often by a man. We just kind of default, maybe because we did that right at the beginning. And just generally being able to cope and manage around the home. You know, I felt a lot of that. I had to just get out there and be a lot more practical than I had needed to be when I had somebody who could do stuff for me. Yeah, but I actually flipped that round and found it quite empowering because things you thought you couldn't do because you'd never done them, you actually can. I remember once when I moved house, this is quite trivial, but I got immense 
oh, really, really immense gratitude that I could actually put up a blind and use an electric drill for the first time. <laughs> I thought, wow, I, you know, and you can do it. It's this kind of, it was to me, it was like a, a signal of everything. Yes, of course you can do it, but you get into a mindset that you can't. So you, your mind is sort of saying, oh, I won't be able to do that. How am I going to manage? But it's immensely empowering. Yeah, you can. And you, as soon as you do one thing, you get another. You think, oh, well, I don't know why I never did that before. It's not so hard. It was, it was made out to be. And, you know, it's really, really wonderful. There's not much that I can't now do. That no, I think that's really good that it proves to yourself. You know, when I was probably sitting there just after I realized that, okay, my life was never going to be the same again. There was all these things running through my mind of, well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? especially living, you know, I lived in um, in Switzerland. I spoke French, but my divorce was in the German side, in Swiss German. So you're thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to understand? But, you know, I did because, you know, you do. You really find an inner strength, which you, you probably knew you, you did have, but it probably you'd left it behind maybe, you know, before you got married. But it's there. And when it comes out, it's it's amazing. I agree. And you made me think about the time I decided to build one of these box gardens. And I was just so determined I was going to have one. So I did it. And I had had a smaller child at the time. And I'm saying, come on, just hold these pieces. And he's rolling his eyes and we're pulling in bits of soil. But we built a wonderful vegetable garden, you know. (laughs) And we were quite capable of doing all of that, you know. And I was quite capable, as you said, of getting that drill out and doing all that with minimum help from a rather grumpy childhood. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and in lockdown last year, I was having furniture delivered. They they couldn't come in. I'd ordered a a wardrobe, which they were supposed to assemble. They could only deliver it. And I actually thought, right, okay, this can't be difficult, can it? You know, took um, Mr. Uh, Mr. Allen's um, Allen key. I don't know who Mr. Allen was, but you should never have invented that Allen key. But anyway, off I went with that and actually built a wardrobe. I did have a slight problem in that once I got it built, I wasn't strong enough to lift it up. <laughs> <laughs> but I did overcome that eventually. It was on its side for a while. But, you know, I never knew I could do that. But it sounds a small thing, but, you know, that it's you can actually put that to the finances and everything in your life. And, you know, it's great to be able to decide what you want to do, when you want to do it, where you want to live, what car you want to have, um, go where I want, when I want. It's a bit difficult at the moment because one of my things I wanted to do is travel quite a bit. So that's been curtailed a bit with, with COVID. But it's just, you know, and I started a new business, completely changed. Well, I'd retired, actually. So here I am now being a divorce coach, because I found there was a great gap when I was getting divorced. We've got the legal side, we've got the financial side. But I found nobody was looking after the emotional side. And I think that's a key to everything. Because when you're seeing, yeah, when you're seeing your legal team, you want to leave your emotional baggage by the door and not take it in there. So that's why I started doing what I'm doing. And there is this whole need, isn't there, to process these emotions, just to, as you said, to give yourself the time and to work through it. One of the questions that I love to put to you is you see a lot of people rushing out trying to find someone new. From your perspective, how does that work? Or sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't, maybe. You see, my advice is always learn to love yourself again first, learn to to know you again. And the trouble is quite often, a lot of people will say to you when you're telling them you're getting divorced is, well, they say, well, you'll soon find somebody else. 
And you think, well, no, I don't actually need, I don't need somebody to make me whole. But people seem to want you to go down that path. And quite often you find yourself wanting to get somebody else to prove that you can, to prove to the other person. So, you know, you're going out there finding somebody with a pulse. (laughs) (laughs) yeah it doesn't necessarily help does it I mean it doesn't help you to get through things and I think you end up probably attracting the person who's mirroring what you are at that stage yeah so my advice is you know there's Mr right now if you really want to go out and date and things Mr right now but who's not necessarily Mr right But don't go out there thinking, oh, gosh, I must find somebody else quickly because people are pressurizing you to that. So I mean, my advice is to find yourself first. And I wouldn't even start looking for, you know, to date or anything until at least a year after, at least a year. And I love that advice of actually learning to love yourself, too, in that process, the new you. Yeah. And find out, you know, who you are and what you want. And, you know, then you should actually profile in your future, do you want somebody else or not? And if you do, what does that person look like? What are their values? How, what would would they need to be? Because you need to look for somebody who deserves you. You need to turn that on its head and, you know, they deserve you. So if you really want to find somebody else and think you need somebody else, why not? But make sure that you've thought that through and you don't find yourself suddenly with somebody with a pulse, but who you haven't got the same values as and you don't, you know, you're probably going to be in another dysfunctional relationship. Yes. Sometimes I think there are people out there looking to be rescued, aren't they? Because suddenly this process of finding the new you is, is not always like super easy. I mean, there's a, a lot of working and sometimes that feels uncomfortable. And I think women often want to be rescued from the space they're in. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons that they do go for somebody with a pulse, because they think it's the answer to their questions, the answer to their problems, the answer to moving them on from where they are. It's not. But you probably maybe have to find a a Mr. Right now to to know that and find out if that's how you want to go. And there is a lot of pressure. As I say, you know, I I can't remember how many times people said, oh, we'll find somebody for you. <laughs> it's just they just seem to think you you'll just need to find somebody else and everything will be all right. Well, no, it won't all be all right until you've found yourself and embraced yourself again and know where you you've planned yourself where you want to be and where you want to go. And don't you know? I think it's a great opportunity that you shouldn't waste. No, you shouldn't waste that opportunity. And I don't necessarily even think that you want the same type of relationship that you had when you were married before, that might be not what you need at this stage, something very different. Yes. And I think that's one of the things when I say to them, actually look at the values, I actually get them to look at what their previous partner's values were, what they thought they were too, and what, you know, how they reacted to them. What would they change about that relationship? What went wrong? Don't analyze too much, but just to sort of see what that profile was and how you would want to change that as part of this process of who you might want to find next or not, as the case may be. Yeah. And then I think that's very empowering because you're putting yourself through a very deep process of, of working through yourself and working through what you want. And that must be incredibly good for people to do that. Yeah. And especially when you're older, because you've had a lot of life experience, you know what you want, you know what you like. So it's much easier, I think, at people my age to actually sit down and do that because you've been through so much that you can actually 
really see where you want to go and, and you know how to get there. Because obviously you can dream about things, but you really have to put an action plan to it too. Absolutely. One of the areas that I do want to have a little conversation about is is narcissistic relationships. I mean, that is an area I know that you specialize in. Explain to me and to my listeners what a narcissist really is. Okay, so a narcissist is somebody who has narcissistic traits and there's a spectrum there. So everybody, including me, has some narcissistic traits. But on the spectrum, if you go to the very end, which is narcissistic personality disorder, that's a cluster B diagnosable personality disorder. And there you're talking about a very manipulative person who is very clever at targeting people who are very empathetic. So they're looking for somebody who's going to be myable in their hands. So they're very controlling, very manipulative. They choose their target and they hurry the relationship at the beginning is something that I call love bombing. So they will find out from you what your ideal partner would be and they become that person. So you're thinking, oh, this is my ideal man. This is my ideal woman. This is the person I've been looking through all my life. And before you know it, you're probably even married to them in the space of months. So it moves very quickly and it moves very quickly because it's a mask that they've got on. I call it the harmer and the charmer. So you've seen the charmer, but they can't keep that mask very long. So they have to move it along quite quickly. And then the mask begins to slip to the harmer. And they particularly, physical abuse is very rare with them. It's mental abuse, verbal abuse, financial abuse, emotional abuse. That's what they specialize in. And it's a very clever process. I call it a bit like a spider's web where they're bringing you into the web until you're really stuck there. So they'll start chipping away at your self-confidence, making you question yourself, criticizing your personality, criticizing your friends. They like to isolate you from the friends, very controlling, taking the finances, even making sure that you don't see too much of your family. And it's a very destructive process, but you actually become codependent on them and trauma bonded. And it's very harmful to the person, but you actually don't realize because of the way they do it, they project a lot of their behavior onto you. So it's a bit like Stockholm, you know, Stockholm syndrome, where, you know, you're with the people who have kidnapped you and you form this bond with them because that's what they've done over the time of chipping away. And you don't actually realize at first it's happening because it becomes the norm. And then you're exposed constantly to this awful behavior, this manipulative behavior. And if they think, you know, you want to stop and get away, those, the love bomber, as I call it, the charmer will come back. And then you think, well, this, oh, I must have imagined, oh, that must be me, because they always make you think that every problem is you. They turn everything around on you. So you actually think, oh, there's the love bomber, there's the man or the woman that I married. So it's all okay. And so they suck you back in. But they particularly target very intelligent people. And they are normally very successful people themselves. Um, you know, quite often CEOs of companies, very high up because they're very good in a business environment. And, they're, you know, if you want somebody to uh, reorganize a company, get a narcissist because they have no empathy. 
<laughs> they've had an empathy bypass. So, you know, they'll step over everybody and, and get an amazing result. And they're very charismatic. Uh, you know, think of a few politicians that you could label. Well, yes, <laughs> they went through my head. You know, people who are very successful have the ability to very quickly charm you and you like them and you want to be in their presence. But then they kind of end up controlling you in some way. And as a question, I mean, if you are also in this position where you're broken up in a relationship, does that make you more vulnerable to a narcissistic person? Yes, yes. Particularly if you've been with one, you're quite likely, and it's been proved with statistics, to go for the same type again, but still not realise that you are. So that's why if you're coming out of that relationship, you should look for red flags all the while. But, you know, quite often, because you're an empath, you're going to attract that sort of person and go back to the same problem. So, but as long as you understand what one is and the tactics that you use, they use and become to recognise those red flags, then you can avoid that. You could, can you break free from a narcissistic relationship? Yes, you can, but it takes quite a long time to, because you are so codependent and so trauma bonded that it, it's very difficult. And because of the financial control, they've made sure in a way that you're trapped in every way they possibly can make you trapped. So you have no access to your own funds. You know, you probably aren't seeing any of your family anymore. And it, yeah, it's, it's a, you can get out. Of course you can, but you know, you'll need a lot of help to get over the trauma. And clearly, if you're isolated from... And if you've got young children with them, of course, you can divorce them, but you've still got that... Oh, yuck. <laughs> it's just horrid, yeah. Yeah, but you, you can get out of it. And you need to understand their behaviour and stop feeding them. I call it narcissistic supply. So quite often when they are criticising you, what they want is an argument. So they keep chipping away and telling you things till you'll argue with them. And that feeds them. So you have to sort of, there's lots of techniques to stop feeding them and giving them supply. And that way they actually, you can get them to discard you, if you see what I mean, because they're not getting the supply from you. And quite often, one of the things the narcissists are, is quite often they have other partners, male, female, that they're seeing as well. So if there's a supply out there that they're getting better supply from, they'll move to them. So one of the tactics to get out is to actually stop supplying them, becoming something I call a grey rock. So you're very uninteresting to them. You're not rising to their bait, that they'll move on to somebody else and they'll discard you because you're no longer of use to them. So that's one way to get out of it. Yeah, that's a pretty shocking space to be in, but probably not an unfamiliar one if you think about people that you know that you certainly don't see them, they drop off the radar. And yeah, they are very codependent. They seem to do everything together. I mean, of course, it's nice to do things together. But yes, there's a difference in that. And they're very clever in that the outward image to the rest of the world around them is that it's a very happy marriage because a narcissist needs everybody to think they have the most perfect wife or husband and life. So people will often not know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, it's front of house and back of house. And what's happening at the back of house is very different to what's happening at the front. So they're very clever with that. So people often don't know how to help because they don't even know it, it's happening. But, you know, you'll look for the subtle signs that, yes, they don't do anything, don't give an opinion without seeing that the other person 
thinks they can have that opinion, often don't comment on things because when they get home, they'll probably get into trouble for saying the wrong thing. But outwardly, it all appears to be marvellous. Yes. And you're right. They can be quite, the person who's trapped in that can be quite a successful person in their own right. Yeah, because they actually target people who are successful because a narcissist have a huge ego. So if they their partner also has an amazing job and an amazing profile, then that feeds them, if you see what I mean. So normally, and also the more intelligent they are, the more of a kick that is for the narcissist to get them into the web. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and that's why they have affairs. That's why they have affairs. And it's not because they're emotionally involved. It's all the fact that they can do it. They can get away with it because they're so clever. And the fact that they've got yet, yet another successful person in the web. I think I've met some people like that and been in, in and had friends who are in relationships like that. People I've worked with, women that, particularly women that I've worked with, very successful. And then you sort of look at their relationships and kind of go, something that's not right in the way that they are with their partner when you know what that that woman is like at work because they can be quite different at work. Yeah, whereas at home, they're walking on eggshells and that's what you do with a narcissist. You walk on eggshells all the while, not knowing how they're going to react. You second think everything you say to them because how they're go- you think in your mind, well, how are they going to take this? How are they going to turn this around? Should I say this? Shouldn't I? And that's how their life is. That's terrifying. It's sad. And it's very sad. It's only, and I can think of someone that I worked with, she was very, very senior. And she kind of had this adoring thing with her husband. She wasn't like that at work. And then he was having a very prominent affair with another woman a lot. And he was a very senior manager in a big company. And, you know, they looked on outwardly on a very successful couple, but she totally deferred to him in, in private situations. And and he carried on this affair even when they went to counselling and he promised her it was all over. And he had this affair and the whole world knew about it. And in the end, she she was almost unable to cope. I think it got to her in the end, but she didn't break free. They moved country because he wanted to move country and it went started over again in another country. Yeah, but that's what they'll do. And obviously because they're with a counsellor, they're getting a kick out of fooling the counsellor too. And, you know, being able to carry it on while they're saying it's not. I mean, they're very good at denying things. They're pathological liars is another thing they are, but very good at it. And actually, I think they even start to believe their own lies. And they lie about small things just because they can. So, you know, everything's a stage. So a counsellor is a stage, a court case is a stage for them to um, boost their ego. And they feel entitled. So rules don't apply to them either. My Goodness, yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I, I think that, you know, you're right. Don't feed that cancer and learn how not to do that is very important. Yeah. So if you can't get away, one of the ways to get out of it is to become a grey rock until they discard you themselves. And that's just getting out. Janet, it's been so wonderful listening to you talk about divorce, about how men and women in particular can take some really good steps towards empowering themselves and starting a new life. If you had to sum up maybe your three big points that you think are the way to start, if you're going to go through particularly divorce, how does that be? What are the three top tips you would give to get that process moving well and moving forward? Well, to know that divorce can be and will be the most empowering thing that you can to start a new fulfilling life. It can and it will be, and you can make it happen. And it doesn't matter what age that is. It really doesn't anymore. 
And, you know, be careful when you start a divorce with yourself. Think about you, look after yourself, give yourself lots of me time, take each day at a time, one step at a time, take your time with everything. If you don't want to respond to your lawyer or something like that, don't until you're ready to, because your emotions are very high. And so your brain actually craves certainty. So it wants you to make a quick decision, but, you know, take your time with everything, think things through, wait till you're, you feel that you're in a rational mindset, and not in an emotional one. And just take your time with everything. Look after your health, have a good diet, keep good exercise. Because like I said at the beginning, you know, to me, a healthy body is a healthy mind and just get a good team around you because that's what you've got a good team around you who can answer all those what ifs at the very beginning, you'll have lots of what ifs in your mind and they're all worrying. And the best thing to do is find out the answers to them. You might like not like the answers, but you know, knowledge is a power. Once you know where you stand, you can move forward. So get a good lawyer, make sure it's the ones to suit you in lots of ways. Get a financial advisor if you think you need one and get a divorce coach too. That would be the things that I would say. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I've loved talking to you. Thank you very much for asking me. Well, Janet, I'd love you to share where people can get in contact with you if this is their space in life, if they're struggling with a narcissist or if they're going through divorce. How can they get in touch? Yes, I've got a website. So it's jhdivorcingdivorcecoaching.com or you can follow me on Instagram at jhdivorcecoaching. That's wonderful. And we will put that in the show notes. Yeah, that'd be good. Thank you. Janet, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Mutual. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristensen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one -one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives for newly appointed agents. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the United States Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. That's cbp.gov careers usbp.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding expectations, simplifying lives, and establishing legacies that last for generations. Leverage their exclusive network of experts to help achieve your personal and professional financial goals. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect to a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. 